somebody took a bath and then this other character was oh. so into this person, you know, that, that after, they're like licking that the they water off lick, the bathtub. Drink the water up at the, at the <laughs> bathtub. Yeah. Okay, well, I hate don't this. Don't tell me anymore, Adam. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 451 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam. I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam, and it's snowing outside. Again. And, this is, and this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's January 19th, 22 by 4. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears, curses, and profanity in this show. We'll get ready for that. It's going to be great. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for letting us grab your money every month to keep the podcast going. Um, I just want to point out, isn't this uh, episode number the degrees at which fire paper I burns? Exact same I was thing. also thinking about that, but I couldn't think of a joke to go along with it. So then I just kind of let it sit, you know. Mm-hmm. Burn some books today, Burn. I guess. You know? Actually, you know, there's a little too much of that going on right now, yeah. frankly. Maybe, 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 don't burn some books. maybe stop someone from burning a book. Maybe that's a thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, has the composition of book paper changed such that that degree mark is actually off now? And then, a, well, yeah, now you got a further, further question is, is, was that ever true in the first place? Because, you know, it's like a good title of a book and it's a good sort of premise. But is it actually true? You know, I think it is. I think it's paper. Paper burns like four fifty one, right? I think it's just right. like all paper. Any Do you paper? think they called it the Kindle yeah. because it's responsible for removing so many books from the world? <laughs> nice. Nice. Is that anyway? Let's talk about some stuff. Let's go. Let's talk about Sam. Sam had a thought, and none of us know what it is. But yeah. he said that we need to talk about. <laughs> so you know how? Yeah. So so working on some uh, some stuff in the studio yesterday. Been a long slog. You know, doing a bunch of details and stuff. And so I went to yeah. take, take a break. Just sort of laid on the ground upstairs for like 30 minutes. You might call it a nap. It was sort of just, you know, one of those staring at the ceiling sort of things. You could and call it a doing, meditation. Yeah, there you go. Make it fancy. Yeah. And while I was doing it, I, was, I had one of those shower thoughts. Not in the shower, but, you know, everyone else does are. It's where you're just sort of chilling and then suddenly you're like... Oh, I think I, as I mentioned in my uh, my talk that I gave back in 2015, that people call it a shower thought is because it's the only place that you can't bring your phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the only place that you're actually sitting there just thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they happen quite a bit actually. If you just sit there and think, if you just don't look at your phone. Yeah. Um, but so I I was I thought the the old cliche that I've been feeling very intensely uh, at work mm-hmm. about progress, which is one step forward, two steps back, right? People talk about that. Well, that's the, that's more of regression. It's more of two steps forward, well, one step back people, for progress. But, but whenever people <laughs> say it, they're always like, it's in like a, it's typically delivered in a way where you're like, oh, I made some headway on this, but then I ran into this problem, right? So it is, it's, it's like about- grudging, you know. Yeah, it's about thwarted progress, right? In a way. Yeah. But I thought about it and I was like, what's weird is that I think it's more like one step forward, two steps left. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> It's rarely forward and back. You're never just like going towards your goal and then back. It's, yeah, it's, you, it's, you discover think, things. Yeah, I think actually what's happening is you're going sort of in this zigzaggy motion towards stuff. And I think oh, framing it as back. Yeah. Did you did you start it with one step forward, two steps back? Is that that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was thinking. I thought it was it. two steps forward, one step back. Because the idea being That's that usually like, the... That's the phrase usually. Yeah. The yeah. idea being you're making progress, but like as you go, you run into hurdles. Mm. It's kind of like either way. Either way, I was just like, there's a there's a lack of dimensionality here. There's a lack of squiggliness to the steps. Yeah, like we have two dimensions. I mean, you have multiple dimensions to walk along. You know, what I mean, you're not just going straight. There's not straight forward and backward. We're not stuck on the X dimension, folks. You know, you can. It depends on your coordinate system because if your coordinate system is just attached to your feet, you know what I mean. Then like no matter where you're walking, it's in the straight line. That's true. It also kind of implies because, like, there, we have almost probably every time, every single time, we are trying to do something that we haven't done before. Mm-hmm. You know, we have some assumptions about how what we need to do, and we start moving in that direction, and then we learn some things, mm-hmm. and then and then we gotta kind of hit pause and sort of adjust Take course. But I would never frame it as we've gone backwards. You yes. know, it's it's more like we we took two steps forward, then we thought about stuff for a moment, and then took two more steps forward. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It, if, might, it might if feel like access, you go back, you know, but, forward. Yeah, back. but it, but it really is. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, it is. Because I, I think squeaky. we do sometimes take a step back when it's like we go down a path and it completely doesn't work. 
So then we're kind of like back where we were, right? That definitely happens, but it isn't the case that, as Sam is saying, we don't then walk forward again, right? Now we go. Exactly. Now we kind of juke. We kind of juke to the left and then go that way instead. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like two steps forward and it's like one step to the side a bit and then another step forward and then whoops, one step back and then like, oh, okay, now we'll go a few steps to the right. But even so. A little harder to say in a pithy one-liner. Exactly. You know. But you've learned something, so you haven't gone back, you know? On like that you may, have gone, yeah. you may have gone laterally, you know, but, like, the idea that, that you you tried something, it didn't work, and now you're, like, worse off. It's like, no, you, you've still gained something, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? You went, you still went back on the, like, trying to accomplish that specific thing route, but the whole point is, is, is that it turned out that that thing wasn't worth accomplishing, so you've now shifted to a new plane, mm-hmm. right? So... Mm-hmm. It's just so like yeah, all the, of this is true at the same time. The problem is we've collapsed down like a, a multi-dimensional problem. Yeah, into this like forward and back thing. I'm like, yeah. this is garbage, you know. And it's one of the things. But I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person that had this thought. You know, this is the joke about these shower thoughts. Typically, they're cliches. They're things that are they're obvious enough that you're like Adam's talking. Adam, we're talking about stuff before the podcast. It's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's not that big of a surprise, but it's also at the same time like cliches. They they are very accurate in a way that is. Only really super tangible once you've experienced them for yourself, right? Yeah. Otherwise, they feel like cliches because you don't. You're not. You don't have like. I had a. I had a thought resident. last night that I would maybe call a weed thought because it's not quite. Yeah. And it's one of those that like I still maintain. Yeah, <laughs> I still maintain is true, right? So, okay, so, so my wife and I have this thing every once while we're we're just like, well, well, let's look at two things that are clearly different, but there's something about them that makes them like they're the same thing, though. You know, like two mm-hmm. two people who like look completely different, but there's something about their faces where we're like, this is the same person, same person. even yep. though even though we agree, they're obviously completely different, right? So I, I had one of these with. I was watching some video of something. Oh no, I saw a video of a Foley artist doing their doing their stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And as they were pouring water into a cup, and I was like listening to that sound, it made me think of the sound of biting into an apple, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and I can't mm-hmm. explain it, but I'm now I'm well past oh, the weed that was in my system. <laughs> but I still believe that that's true. <laughs> That those are the you, same sound, a, but like at different speeds or something. Yeah, if you took something. a little, a little short chunk of a of water, kind of loudly. Yeah, just yeah, something. the loud pour, like going into an op- going into a you know a yeah. It actually sounds like, like a, a crack, crack. like a crack yeah. It's got sort of it's thing. got that same sound to it. Mm-hmm. It's got that I'm watery there, crunch. Got that watery know? crunch. That, yeah, it's <laughs> true though, right? Like so that means that oh, yeah. that means that pouring water is crunchy. Yeah, which is. Or means biting apples is is wet, watery. Yeah. It, well, that is definitely <laughs> true. That's, yeah. Every time I eat an apple, I'm just I'd be like juice You're like running down something. my arm. I'm like, well, this is delicious. Yep. But you know, I got to go to take a shower. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. In in industry, well, not industry, but kind of like tech news, something's gonna happen this this spring that what? probably won't be good. Which is Reddit is gonna have an IPO. Yeah. Initial public offering. So this is when a privately held company goes to the one of the stock exchanges or all of them, whatever, and uh, lists their shares for public consumption, public mm-hmm. trading. So this goes out to the SEC. They have to do a bunch of bullshit. They have to restructure the company. They have to have this like corporate board, blah, blah, blah. Um, and of course, it immediately transforms the company uh, mm-hmm. into an increasingly profit-hungry uh, and growth-obsessed zombie. It's a quarterly yep. growth machine at that uh, point. Yep. And it, yeah. when you're leading up to an IPO, you've already shifted everything towards that anyway, right? So the Would moment that an IPO thing? is on the radar, like you become and, – and there's and there's no – and I'll, I'll maintain that there is no company so evil that it will not become more evil once it goes public. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. fair, honestly. Yeah. Just, yeah there, it's the worst outcome possible. Well, it's just because we talk about KPIs, right? All yep. the time. We talk about picking your KPI, making sure you know why you're doing a thing and what you're actually optimizing for and what the downstream effects and incentives related to that yep. are. And yeah, I think this is this yeah. is just one of those things. Publicly traded companies are the worst kind of evil that we put into the world. Yep. So well, they're, they're, they're a particular they're, kind. The kind right? that we all prop up and say is good, right? Because there's yeah, lots of other they're, kinds of more horrible Yeah, they're just a very particular do. kind, which is that yeah. they're, they're so focused on that growth number. That's the only KPI. Yeah. So and it doesn't that's matter it. what happens in the process. Well, not, not growth. Profit growth, a very specific, one specific dimension of growth, right? 
And so, yeah, because the thing about, of course, like we 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 go on soapboxes on the show all the time, but like the thing about profit is it's just a two part math equation, right? Like income minus expenses, <laughs> that's all that it is. And so you've only got really two levers to pull to make that number go up for. But there are lots of ways right? to pull them, and none of them yeah. have to have any basis in like stuff that's good for in doing anything say? good for, for anybody. anybody. Yeah, if yeah. you had yeah. no other guiding again. You know, other guiding principles and other guiding KPIs with regards to this, then I mean, it always it always happens the same way. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Which is kind of and, boring and, at the end of the day. <laughs> and also, it's that, you know, it's if let's say you got a CEO at the head of one of these companies who's like, you know what? Uh, like, we're like, our company exists for a reason. You know, we make widgets and uh, we are meeting the demand of all the people who want widgets. We're selling enough widgets. And uh, we're good now. We're, we're not going to build any new factories or hire any people. Uh, we're just going to keep making the same amount of money every year. As soon as that person finishes that sentence, they will be fired by the board. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> because well, they have to be technically. Because they have a fiduciary the duty. Mm-hmm. Their duty to their shareholders is to maximize shareholder wealth, which means maximizing earnings per share, more profit. So they need to be firing people. They need to be expanding into new markets. They need to be whatever, right? And so it it no longer becomes about the thing that the company was made to do in the first place. It's only about this, right? And so in the case of Reddit, you know, I, I think you're going to see kind of something probably similar to what happened with Facebook or Twitter, right? Oh, yeah. Which is like, like, it's not great while being privately held, <laughs> Uh, but then once it's publicly held, oh boy, yeah, oh boy. things uh, just what's worse uh, a, 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 a dramatic, rapid series of questionable, well, not quite problematic decisions yeah. are about to be made. Um, yeah. So if you know if you're a big if you're a big Reddit user, uh, you know, just be ready to start scaling that back a little bit because it's probably <laughs> going to get a lot. Worse. It's yeah. probably well, going to get worse. But, I mean, it has been the case because like because some of the things we've been seeing about what all the bad shit that Reddit's been up to has been basically because they're preparing for their IPO, right? Yep. So yeah. so the other part of this is, is I think that it's going to get worse, definitely, but I think it it's not going to get a lot worse because <laughs> it, it's effectively already been IPO'd in terms of like the impact on the user, right? All that stuff will keep getting worse because of the ins- shitification of like a thing that gets IPO'd or bought, right? It's like, these are all part of the same concept, right? The shitification is the wealth extraction phase that, that shareholders go through once it becomes public. Um, and so it's going to get worse, definitely, but it's going to be the same kind of bad, just more of it, you know? <laughs> yep. And of course, you know, we're seeing that with like, you know, it's like, especially over this past few months, we've seen tons and tons of news with each of the major tech companies just continuously laying people off, you know? I saw like, a, a it just keeps from coming. The, from the GDC yeah. survey this year, which was done, I think in October, just before even like a, even more stuff happened in games that been like a third of devs. A third of game devs had been impacted by, or their, or their, or the respondents anyway. been impacted by yeah. layoffs. Yeah, the response to the survey. A third. Yeah. A third of the and industry and has it, been like, I either got laid off or someone I know. Well, got laid I think off. it's because most of the industry works for these large companies, right? Yeah. So, like, and that's where all of the, and those are the same because, like, you, you're not that's seeing, you're, you're seeing little indie studios like going to banks and being like, "Hey, we want to," because money is basically free right now. Can we just have? billions yeah. of it and well, then you, you do we'll see hire. some in like that what are they yeah, yeah, we did Tri- see some triple i space you yeah know? yeah definitely um but yeah but most people are at these big companies and the big companies did what big companies do which is they could get some cheap debt so they got it and then they scaled up because that's what you do and then they paid out fuck loads of money to the people at the top of the stack and then at some point the cheap the cheap money ran out and they were like mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess time to close some studios. Time, time to do, time to work on the other side of the equation, which is cutting the cutting cost side. Well, the easy way to do that: people are expensive, so let's just cut all the people, and then we're then we're done. It's, but honestly, like, because like I I went to I went to business school. I you know I went to an MBA program, and this this kind of mindset is so I just I can't I can't put myself into like I I dropped out of MBA school because I just like I hate I hate this you know <laughs> because. There's this mindset that you gotta you gotta be in to be a CEO of a publicly traded company, which is yes, we have eighty billion dollars in the bank just laying around, and we're making twenty billion dollars of profit every year. However, <laughs> however, number must go up, and so I'm going to just ruin the lives of like three thousand people. people. Yeah. Just gonna fire them, just put them out on the street, even though. 
It's just business, each, baby. I, even though I could give each of them yeah, that, a, that $10 phrase, million dollars and not feel it, but I'm just not gonna. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> if somebody earnestly says the phrase, like, it's just business, like, that's how I know they have the ethical principles of a fucking, I don't, I don't even know what, a tyrannosaur or something, you know, as in completely absent. They'll just kill anything. Completely amoral. Like, like the effect of, of your actions on well, other and people. And I think amorality is then just immorality, you know, because, like, if you're if your actions, if you're guided by amorality, then you're going to do immoral stuff. Right? That's like, what I'm saying. Is like, is amoral meaning like it's just not, it's not part. It's like bullshit versus lying, right? With bullshit, the truth isn't relevant. It's not part of it. It's not, it's not, <laughs> right. it's not included in the processing that you're doing to decide what to it's say. It's what you say right? happens to be true while you're bullshitting. That's, cool. That's fine too. Also yeah, cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so same thing. Like if you're acting amorally in the pursuit of profit, right? It's like sometimes you you might do a good thing for somebody, but Almost that wasn't never, the point. <laughs> <laughs> like the point was was profit, you know. So yeah. Uh, so bucks. anyways, but also like we we've had we've gotten questions from people who were like, "Hey, have you guys ever thought about like uh, a buyout or like a merger, like, like having a larger company buy your studio?" And we have had those conversations mm-hmm. with large companies and we just tell them the same thing every time, which is we, we make games. We're not an investment. Like we're, we're a game studio. Yeah. And the as soon only as time you, get- you sell your own company to somebody else is when you're okay with them scrapping it for parts and firing all your employees because that's the inevitable outcome of being purchased by another company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're no longer a standalone entity with a purpose. You are now a, a profit center for something else. And as soon as... That profit center is no longer profitable. It gets deleted. But even just, even if it is prof- <laughs> even if it is profitable, yeah, that's the not enough. Not profitable, not profitable enough. But also yeah. further, because a lot of why people buy co- like companies buy their companies is to get a hold of a, a few of the people, right? Because it's yeah. like they, they want to get rid of a competitor, of get a hold tech. of a piece of IP, and then and then because people who are really good at certain kinds of things are rare. They're hard mm-hmm. to get a hold of. So if you can, if you can acquire them, even if you don't even realize you've done it until you have them in your company now, you know. And you've got other stuff going on in your in your the company that bought it that is resource strapped for people. Like you're gonna go pull it. Like we saw this with like Steam when they bought uh, or Valve when they bought um, a couple of companies. But which one was it? A few years ago they bought one that that like really top notch indie team. Um, Are you talking about Turtle Rock or? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Like anyway, the, but, but Turtle Rock was the Left for Dead team, I think. That yeah, I think it, like Valve has bought a few yeah. teams over the years, right? And each time yeah. they did it, it was like, oh yeah, we want to. We just like think they do good work. and We want to bring this in house, and that was the idea, right? And each time they did it, or the team, the team got absorbed into Valve, right? And they're doing like they're doing Valve stuff. They're not actually working mm-hmm. together as a team to make those games, right? But I think what's interesting about that is like because I think I think it can be the case that if you do the kind of company selling route, depending on, uh, like you said, selling to like, in this case, like Valve, for example, selling to a private company is also, is also a very different thing than selling to even a public company, right? Yeah. I think the outcome because, is the same, but it's, but the intentionality is part of the question, right? Which is like, cause yeah. I, I don't think Valve set out to like dismantle these companies. I think it's just, the reality is that Valve has a huge set of demands mm-hmm. to operate yeah. and so they had people who could satisfy those demands and those are going to take prior, like, the company who bought the other company, its needs will always take priority, right? And so the inevitable outcome of any acquisition is that the thing that got acquired gets dissolved. It gets eaten. It gets or absorbed eaten. or yeah, transformed yeah. or – Yeah. yeah. yeah but happened. I do think it's the case that like – because if you you know if you know build something and you're tired of it also you – know, like, There's yeah, a lot of reasons yeah, yeah, There's reasons something. why you might want to, definitely. But yeah. It's just yeah. knowing that there's that's like the downstream. Outcome, yeah, the big downstream effects that if you're not effectively planning for, I think yeah. kind of. If your goal your is basically like, if you're just thinking, oh, like this company wants to buy me, that means like, oh, well, now I'm going to have like, infinite resources and like going to have way more sport than I used to. Like, you will yeah. for six months. For yeah. now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> and, then, and then people and people who are anything will be like, oh, we could really use this person on your team to help us do this. And oh, yeah, but, you know, and then it's going to, that is the outcome. So yeah. you can't sell yeah, your small company to a bigger company and then. S- with the plan, with the intention of still being able to like do stuff within that company and have that company exist. Yeah. Uh, or you just become a hot potato where like you get bought by one company and then after a while they're like, meh, and then they just sell it that to another company. Yeah. And then after a while, that company's like, meh, and they just, they just, you just keep getting bought and sold all around. Yeah. And even see this you, with until companies. Until you buy where, yourself back. <laughs> yeah. And even see this with companies where you wouldn't expect it, right? With like, uh, with Epic, because Epic bought Bandcamp, which at the time was a cool move, it seemed like, right? Seemed like it was kind of a synergistic kind of a move, right? And then also Bandcamp was a little bit cash-strapped, right? Mm-hmm. But then Epic, which kind of surprised, like I didn't expect them to treat companies they bought as assets in this kind of same way as everybody else does, because like because of how vocally, yeah. you know, anti that kind of stuff they 
historically have well, been. Well, only, only if it's happening to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's harder to surround like, yeah, we'll it yeah. as a business line item, you know, if you're like looking at your your stuff, even if you're, again, if you're, even if you're privately held or whatever. Well, and the moment you have investors, right? Because they're privately held, but they still have. Yeah, a lot of investments. Really big investors. And so they still have to make everybody happy. So including a big stake by Tencent, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Salt burn, which I don't even know what that is. Yeah. So, so this, this is a nailed it, whiffed it. Um, okay. So there's this movie called Salt, Salt Burn. I think it's on Prime. I can't remember. I don't even know where we watched it. Um, I had heard weird, like very mixed things about it um, around the internet, but not any detail about what it even was besides just like a vague kind of, it's unsettling. It was kind of, kind of like the vibe. Sounds unsettling. And my wife was really interested in it for, for the same kinds of reasons. She'd been like hearing about it. Right. And hearing that it was good, question mark, but like, but intentionally it avoided, you know, really learning anything about it. So, mm-hmm. so then last night we sat down to watch it. And this is a perfect example of the value of the nail it whiffed scale because they fucking nailed it. But I hated that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hated it. And I wish I could unwatch it. Uh, and you hated it probably because they nailed it. Yeah. yeah. So, so did you guys watch Midsommar? Uh-uh. Yeah. I didn't, I knew it. Okay, so Midsummer. I did not watch it for reasons. So, so I was again to the whole like idea of like th- things being the same thing despite being completely different. You know, like Mids mm-hmm. it has the same vibe as Midsummer or Midsummer, which is I think a great horror flick. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's very slow, right? It's very slow moving, and it f- and like the way that they decide to focus on what's on what the horror is is basically about like this gross creepiness that just makes you really fucking uncomfortable the whole time, right? But, yeah, it makes, but it's a skin crawling type. It's, a, know, it's just like, a, ah. yeah, it's just a, you're just feeling like gross this. and uncomfortable, right? And, and so with Midsommar, part, like, part of the reason they were so effective at that was because the cinematography, like every mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. aspect of the whole thing was like, we're making you uncomfortable, right? So like yep. the way that the camera was doing everything in Midsommar, like it was, it was, it was the first movie I'd seen in a long time where I was paying attention to the cinematography because it was right. doing such a good job at mm. at fucking with what my brain was like trying to do. You know, like the camera's its own character. It, yeah. yeah, and it really was because yeah. like you'll have these scenes where like the camera's just upside down at the start of a scene, and you're like, the fuck, and then it like flips yeah. over. You know, <laughs> it's just like the whole thing, and they, and they and like so much of what they do is just like like you don't realize there's like at the towards the end. I'm not gonna go to any spoilers, but towards the end, there's this you know very insane sequence of events of this insane scene uh and one of the characters has this big like flower thing like on her hair you know and you don't like it's easy to not even notice that the flowers are like moving and like kind of blink like like, do just they're weird they're they're (laughs) they're alive right and but it's like just in animation where it's like there's a lot of frames that if someone asked you how many frames, they wouldn't be able to like necessarily guess because you can't see it really, but you but feel it's, it. But you, yeah, but you see yeah, it. Yeah, it's there. It gets in your yeah, and it's and it like and that was, was one of those things like and once you notice it, it's like very obvious that it's happening, yeah, right? right? But like it took me a while to notice, and the whole time I hadn't noticed yet. Something my brain was like, I don't like what's I don't like mm-hmm. this, but I didn't know why or what, right? So, so midsummer like. It's, it's kind of a hard watch, but like, I loved it. I thought it was great. So Saltburn is like the same kind of approach where like the acting fucking top notch, the storytelling top notch, very slow. Uh, and it's, but the, but the way that they did everything is just like focused on making you just really uncomfortable. Right. So like it's shot in four, three in a four, three aspect ratio. Hmm. Hmm. Which is weird, but like even the very opening scene, which is just like following a character, like going, like walking into college, right, through a crowd, and like you just feel the crowd because it's because the camera's so tight, yep. and the camera feels like it's gonna run into people, you know, it's like it gives you this <laughs> anxiety right out of the gate, and and then you just can't really tell why anything is happening, right, as it goes, but it, it has these like really earnest character character interactions, again, very well acted. Where everyone's motivations are just like suspicious You're just and like, weird, and they're and they're right? they're almost too earnest, you know. They're like the way that they're looking into each other's eyeballs and stuff. You're just like, this is they're too, to this yeah, is too <laughs> much, and uh, and that's like the first half of the movie. It's just like that just like these interactions and you're just like why is and and the main character is this like very socially weird awkward dude right and so like so the first half of the movie is just like these little vignettes of just like little brief stories of like this guy kind of like becoming friends with this other guy and and then the second half of the movie 
is then like when it becomes the actual horror movie that it kind of is. Shit hit in the fan. But horror is too intense of a word. I would just call it an intensely gross, uncomfortable movie all the way through. Mm. Uh, and it's just so like we got to the end of it. My wife and I were just like, we each other. We were just like, we had the same reaction to it, which is just <laughs> like, it's not, it wasn't bad. That's not the right word. It, good feels like the wrong word, but it was really well made. Like it, it was, was really a bad well experience. Yeah, I had a bad time. <laughs> But, but that, that was, was the intent. The point. That yeah. was the point, exactly. And but unlike Midsummer, which like felt like it was like, oh, we're making a horror movie, like that's why it's uncomfortable or whatever. Right? Right, right. This one like it was weirder because like the it wasn't just like, oh, there's some weird evil shit happening. It was just like <laughs> it was just like it just why? makes you feel bad. Why it is any of this happening? Like, yeah, it just yeah. gets in you. And so mm. uh, it's, there's a there's a couple scenes in particular in the movie that are just so uncomfortable. Um that it's like one of them, which I guess I'll just mention because it's not really a spoiler, is is a character literally just like licking up and drinking water in the bathtub drain, but like very passionately and grossly. You know? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's wait, wait, wait. So like, is this like like somebody took a bath? Somebody took water. a bath, and then this other character was oh. so into this person, you know, that, that after, they're like licking that the they water off lick, the bathtub. Drink the water up at the, at the <laughs> bathtub. Drink. Yeah. The, one of the worst okay, well, things. I hate don't tell me anymore, Adam. I yeah, don't want to exactly. hear anymore. One of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen it. with my eyeballs that the moment it started, I was like, how do I unwatch this? You know, how do I not have this happen? And there, there's a handful of scenes that are, that's the worst of them in my opinion, but I, I can see how people's opinions would vary on that topic. You know, Adam, there's some weird stuff in there. That's very uncomfortable. <laughs> I could help you out. I, I bought one. You know, in Men in Black, they had those memory wiper yeah, yeah, devices. Yeah. I, I bought one. I can't remember where I put it, though. So Yeah, those, yeah if you backfire. That was actually why, yeah. to you know, kind of circle it back. That was like, last night I was like, all right, I'm going to try to see if I can just blow apart any of my memories of this thing with as much weed as possible. Which, then, <laughs> which is then what led me to that thought of, you know, water and apples are basically the same noise, you know? It's probably because you heard so, that person passionately drinking water out of a bathtub and you're like, that sounds like someone eating an apple. It's just you the know? worst. So, which is all to say. <laughs> the movie, after the movie, you're like, how can I just turn my brain into a potato? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't want that. There, yeah, there, there really been, there's maybe like two other movies I've seen in my life where like the after effects of it were like, it was the same deal where I was like, that was a very well-made movie. It accomplished what it said. Again, wit, nailed it. Nailed it on the whiff of nailed it. Scale, nailed it right? and I hate it. Hated but, it. God, if I could have watched that movie. So, <laughs> so I strongly recommend not watching it. It's, it's up for all kinds of awards and stuff. Because again, very well done. Uh, really Hated. well acted. <laughs> well, I have a pro tip for you if you'd like to reduce the uh, impact of essentially traumatizing memories, which is that you should actually play Tetris. Yeah, that's what I've heard. 24 to 48 hours. Yep. Within 24 to 48 hours? Yeah. We'd all right, you're on the clock, Adam. So yeah, you better. You got to play some Tetris. It basically, it, it, it's such a focusing task that it essentially helps your brain not continuously lay down the paths of these like traumatic memories and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys hear that somebody beat Tetris? Yeah, some kid, that. right? It's like 14. Thir- some 13 year old kid. Beat, I just assume first person already in the world. been beaten at this point. And there's the no. final level called they called like the deaths, just the death screen or something. Because so like this is can't. So when you say beat Tetris, because Tetris has all kinds of like variations, I assume, right? And I think it's the, the OG. Yeah, so whatever the like uh, competitive space is for, it's probably okay. So there's like one particular version of the game on one particular platform or something. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I mean, you can play like house rules, you know, when you're playing basketball or cards or whatever. But yeah, you know, yeah. if you're going to go to a poker tournament, you know, you know what the deal is. You know, it's that. Imagine making a game that people have been playing for like 40 years, but and like just billions of people have played this game mm-hmm. and they've been playing it the whole time because it's so good. But nobody's ever beaten it. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's wild. Until now. Mm-hmm. Now, now what I'm wondering is, like, you guys are here about like the four minute mile, yeah, was where it was like it was like impossible, and then one person did it, and then just immediately, everyone's like, like oh, okay. thirty other people <laughs> did it, like within a yeah. month, mm-hmm. because there's this mental barrier that, like, if something can't be done, you just kind of check out as you get closer to that mm-hmm. goal, because you're like, well, I'm hitting the limit, so you know, whatever. But as as soon as somebody shows you, there's the limit's not real. Like I can guarantee you, within the next year, multiple people are going to beat oh, yeah. Tetris. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. the The morale is high. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, all right. So salt burn nailed it. Don't hated it. it. Don't do it. To don't yourself. watch it unless <laughs> unless you're unless looking for thing. a bad time. In I which don't case, know who it's for. You know, it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> you watch it. 
He watched it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he gotcha. It wasn't for him, though. It wasn't for me. Well, I mean, it might be one of those ones that the sort of thing that you hear about and watch are people who are in, who, how to put it? But like who, because I didn't know what I was getting into. You know what I mean? So who is it that knows what they're getting into that watches it? That's that's what I'm, because to me, that's like when you say like, who is this made for? Like, that's what that means. You know, it's like somebody who kind of knows what they're getting themselves into. And, and like, I like experience. this. Or who leaves experience afterwards and was like, I, I would still have that experience, you know? Like, but I'm I th- glad I think, that I had that. I think with a lot of art, when you're talking about, the, or just things, when you're talking about nailed and whiffed it, the reality is that experiencing something that nails it is its own little joy. Even if the thing that it nails is something that you just absolutely. Yeah, it's one of those, like, it's impressive how much, because, like, I. I, I do like horror movies, um, mm-hmm. but most of them I just find amusing and fun, you know, yeah. because I was, I was, I was starting, I haven't even talked about it when I started, I started watching one of the, I don't even fucking know what movie it was, one of the franchise movies, but uh, where there's some living dead thing, you know, mm-hmm. but like one of the scenes, like this, this zombie woman just like attacks this guy, bites his eyeball out and then spits his eyeball onto somebody else, right? <laughs> Which sounds horrible wait, 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 wait. and gross and insane, but in but the moment comedy. it was just hilarious, you know, because yeah. it's just so over the top. Like that's how most horror feels to me, you know. But it's like things like Midsummer and then this movie, like actually get it, like they get yeah, in it's my a different bones. kind. It's a different yeah. kind of thing, and like yeah. So, so I, I agree. Also, there's like there's a, there's something there, but I don't need to necessarily have had the experience. Like yeah, Midsummer, actually, I like I felt unsettled afterwards. It was like, it, like, and it kind of got, it stayed in me for a while. Right. But I was still like glad that I watched it. You know, how do you bite someone's eye out? There are many important questions. Right there's a, it's in a socket. Like yeah, how you, you how do you get, get in there? Your, you got to get like a good suction maybe you gotta going. Get, you got to get really good suction to get. Yeah. Maybe she, she formed her zombie <laughs> lips, all of the like mucusly blood stuff going on. Maybe yeah, yeah. Help they didn't form spend a, really a lot of time. It showed zombies, how it worked. It was just a very quick, like, well, bit your eyeball out kind of a scenario. I guess, well, zombies eat brains. So they're probably more like, um, uh, like dugongs where they suck the, the oysters Ooh, yeah. out of the shell. You know, they just have like such a force turbo suction. Like, yeah. 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 Yep, yeah. Yep. yeah. Cause they, cause dugongs can actually kill other animals by sucking out an internal organ. They yeah. just like bite onto them and they just go. And, and like, when you say a, a dugong, what it's like a manatee kind of animal. Okay. Right. It's like a walrus manatee kind of thing, uh, but with Some a power, water extremely creature. powerful sucking mouth. So maybe zombies kind of get that yeah, yeah, yeah. thing going on, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. suck a brain out, suck an eye out, That's true. I mean, bam, yeah. bam, get some nutrients. And each IP with zombies has to have its own zombie lore, you know, because because we yeah. can't we can't let it get tired and played out. Right. So like we got to have our own. Call them walkers. Have just, them suck eyeballs out of heads. Yeah, I was gonna know, say, and importantly, never call them zombies. No, for some fucking reason. Except for in Zombieland, which is a great movie. Uh, let's get on to questions. Let's These go. questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, the highest upvoted question is about Sea of Stars, which we have not played yet. So we're going to hit pause on that one and go to the next question. It's in Game Pass, so that means I can go play it. Yeah, do some homework. Or but it's, yeah, it's won some awards and stuff, so it's... Supposedly. It looks great. It looks, it looks really good. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I'll go look at it. Uh, so next question comes from Giant Muskrat, who says, what do you think about Steam demos? Could having one increase the percent of favorable reviews by filtering out some people that would have bought the game and had a bad experience? Hmm. Now, this is a big question. It's a great yeah. question. Because again, it's also unanswerable. It's unanswerable, but there's, I think there's some strategic stuff, some strategic nuggets in here that are very important. The first is, why are demos suddenly appearing on Steam all the time, right? Yep. Suddenly. Because, like, this wasn't happening that much a couple years ago. And, nope. the and actually, if you were to look a few, a few years ago, you would also, like, see when people, like, wrote up analyses of the things. The general mm-hmm. consensus was that demos are not good for your game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a... That's a context thing. But it was a context, but it was also like that, that consensus was like, as far as we can tell. But the problem is that you can't split the universe with and without a demo. And so there's no real way to know, and there never has been a real way to know if like demos are good, right? Well, and it's going to be game specific. So like yeah. we've, we've talked in the past about very games like, like, um, like Monument Valley. It's 45 minutes long. Yep. If you had a demo, what, what would it be? The first level, five maybe. minutes, yeah. you know, uh, or like uh, That Dragon Cancer, extremely emotional but short, you know, narrative game. Not, it's not really about gameplay. It's like it's like a it's a journey. It's like a walkthrough 
journey, yeah. right? But it's also uh, one of those, like, if you have a game kind of like that, then again, this actually kind of goes back to the earlier discussion, right? If you know, if you kind of know what you're getting into, have decided to get into it, that's one thing, right? If you kind of know what you're getting into and then start and then hit a point where it doesn't let you continue and now you have to go do some work to, if it's a, if it's a stressful thing that you're experiencing. Yes. It's a hell of a lot if you easier watch, to just buy it outright and then go through the stress of it than yeah. it is to like saying, if you watch that like, salt burn uh, thing and got halfway through, yeah. we'd be like, and then I'd they're like, like, hey, give us like five bucks. Be like, no, yep. absolutely not. Never. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the the strategic reason for them and the reason that they're appearing is because they are a required part of participation in Steam's fests. Okay. So yeah. Steam deployed these fests during uh, essentially the time during lockdown when there were no none of the usual events happening in the games industry. So it, these came a lot, um, like the next fest, stuff like that came out as a way to basically promote games when the industry was trying to figure out how the fuck to do that without these in-person events that just weren't happening anymore. And it's a cool idea. And you have to realize what Steam's getting out of the deal first and foremost, which is that Steam is going to want people to engage with their platform, to buy more games, of course, um, but to be able to create enough buzz around stuff and also see, as we've always talked about, who the winners are, you know, before the games come out. Um, it helps them allocate resources. It helps them pick who's going to be in certain editorial spots, whatever. Because, yes, the store is algorithmically, algorithmically driven to a very large degree, but there are these, you know, being able to get into certain things um, around your launch is super important. And some of those are, you know, you talk to a person because you have the numbers to be able to talk to a person. So uh, Steam, though, gets what I think is supposed to be an equivalent of like a you know, a digital version of what you'd see at an expo floor. So an expo floor, you can also think about it as like a demo spree, right? You're walking around, there's all these booths, you go sit down for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, play a game. Um, Steam gets a huge value out of this because this means that there's a ton of gamers who are going to just go hop on. We know that there's like people just download just fuckloads of demos and then, you know, try to kind of prioritize them and, and play them and see and see what's up. And that's really good for Steam because, of course, they want engagement with the platform. They want people to see what's coming up. Etc. And frankly, they can't like they wouldn't be able to give away a whole game, right? Because they'd have to somehow like pay, pay for, for that. that. Yep. So this is basically yeah. <laughs> their way, in my mind, of like you know, Epic has their like you know free game of the fucking week or whatever. Um, weirdly enough, this to me is a, it's a similar sort of a move where what they're providing now is a base of just stuff you can do. There are free games in the store, of course, but like just stuff you can do for exciting upcoming things. That you just wouldn't have access to otherwise. But it's they're kind of like uh, they're they're recreating the experience of like going to PAX. Yeah, something. that's what they're trying to Where, do. Yeah, like you go to this convention and like all these developers have their games out on the on the show floor, and you can play a demo of all these different games, right? Yeah. And so if you, if you have a a festival like Steam Next Fest, uh, but then all you can do is just like watch trailers and speculate. And you can't actually like get any, your hands on yeah. something. It's just not quite as exciting. You yeah. Know? So, so it's a, it's a cool way for them to produce this kind of marketing moment. And also, you know, in many ways, the structure of it is a huge benefit to them. And I think that's a really important piece, like a really important piece. Because the reality Steve is- They wouldn't be doing it if they didn't think it was valuable to them first. And to foremost. them first. And yeah. And so, you know, when we've done, like the biggest difference though, between experience like this for us as developers versus an actual expo hall experience is essentially a massive problem when it comes to distribution of the game itself. Because in the context of, let's say, a uh, expo, so packs, whatever. You are present. No one is taking your build and running off with it. No one's doing anything with the demo that you can't see. You can un. They're not. Yeah, they're not downloading the file onto their computer and then re-uploading it and selling it on Amazon yeah, marketplace. Exactly, which like has happened to some of our games before. <laughs> yeah. And so, and on top of that, you can be a little. more, It's easier in that kind of a context to provide essentially human stop gaps for places where a demo wouldn't make any sense. Or just to know that, like, in the context of an expo hall, no one's going to play your game for more than, like, 20, 30 minutes tops. Like, if you manage to get that, that demo, that's huge. pretty high, yeah. And so you don't have to worry about, you know, all the rest of the stuff that comes potentially if a person sits down for longer than that because you probably will have to kick them off anyways. So what's interesting on the demo side is that, um, like Seth was, uh, was saying earlier, it basically makes it there's certain kinds of games that are easy to make demos for, and there's certain kinds of games that are extremely hard to make demos for, um, if not impossible. And the challenge basically is that now participation in these fests has become a core part of how you even do discovery on Steam. You basically must participate. If you're launching a game and you're not participating in one of these, you're you're just 
putting a huge opportunity out of your kit. And then Steam's also going to see that when, you know, if you, let's say, manage to get some numbers, whatever, you email someone and you haven't done any NextFests at all and you're sort of, you know, middling and you're like, how can I do better? They're going to be like, you've got to do a NextFest. Like you haven't even participated, right, in these things. And so strategically, that's what's happening, right, which is that a platform started by trying to solve a problem and recreating a uh, kind of expo experience the experience that they're able to provide produces a lot of news, a lot of noise, and gives gives everybody on the platform free shit to do for a long time, which is great for them. Uh, on the backs of us, us. <laughs> um, but again, what? with with the possibility that there's a lot of good that can come out because YouTubers can get all your game. Basically, there's a lot of organic pickup that can happen. So it's not like a. It's definitely one of those like, would we choose to have a demo if it wasn't required for participation in one of these things? No, literally no, wouldn't. It's a much higher cost and higher risk thing to do. Yes. You know, because because we also have the problem of if we're putting a demo out there and we want to have some portion of the game be playable, um, what happens if somebody hacks the game and figures out how to unblock stuff? Yeah, like how to, playable. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how do we how do we come up with a way to basically ship a version of the game that that somehow doesn't have any of the content in there that we don't want people to get at. Um, that's a very hard problem, right? Because like, yeah. if you leave everything in there and then just like put like a boolean, like a true false, like oh, it's a demo, D- true, right? Yeah. And then like if if that variable is set, then you can't go do stuff, right? It's like okay, um, what if somebody just turns that off? Yeah, so <laughs> and right. then and then uploads your game to every pirate site in the world, which yeah. will happen. So which these are happen. these are Guaranteed. a number of the concerns, right? And and let alone even just the the design of a demo is a tricky thing in the first place, which I'm not going to get into. Um, but I think what's interesting about it is is that strategically the reason to participate for us is we're viewing it as a ticket to participate in a marketing event. Most people do not play demos. Most people who buy your game would not play a demo of it. Weirdly enough, I know it sounds strange, but like it's I I'm one of those people. I do not play demos. I just look at the game, even if there's a demo available, I'm like, I like this, and then I get it and I play it, right? Um yep. Steam has a refund window of two fucking hours, which is longer so than most demos. Demo. Yeah. I'd, <laughs> I'd rather just play the actual game and see if I like it. Exactly. So it's yeah. again, it's a weird thing, right? Because because of that refund window, because of other things where it's not actually required, but it creates it's a marketing event that you per, you get your ticket to entry by having done this, frankly, large amount of work uh, on Valve's request to be able to be in like that uh, tier of, of that group of people who are running. Right. Um, that's why you're seeing them. That's what they're for. When you when it comes to then like the actual demo experience and how it is that you manage to translate that into more than just you know, some people played your game and liked it and that was it. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other thing as far as like, how do you actually get that? And is that even what you need to be worrying about? I think in general, you don't need to be worrying about that too much because the reality is participation is what is important. Because yeah, my suspicion is that demos are just a lot like piracy in a sense. It's a different that, audience, I think. Yeah, this, yeah, exactly. Which is that like, it isn't, it isn't across the board. It isn't the case that people pirating your game is represents a lost sale, right? Yes. There's some proportion where that's true, definitely, right? But the majority of people who are pirating your game would not have bought it if piracy wasn't an option. That's just yeah, and they'll they'll always true. list a they'll always list a reason why they pirated it. But as soon as that reason goes away, they'll find they'll another one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, and like, and almost anything is piratable. Is the so like if, if somebody is living that that life, right? Then they're gonna get it. They're gonna, they're gonna get, get it. it, and they weren't going to pay for it. It was never gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think demos are the same as you're saying. It's a similar deal, which is like there are people who play demos, but my bet is that most of those people don't buy games because, again, you could just buy it and refund it and so on, right? So like, well, also most people don't buy games, and I think this is important. Like, and Steam there's did also its, that uh, too. Yeah. yeah, Steam did its like wrap up thing, right? So everyone apparently since Spotify started doing this like a couple of years ago, now every fucking service has a wrap up where it's like, here's what you did this year, right? Mm-hmm. And my favorite part was there was a stat in there where it showed like how many games you played versus how many games the average Steam player played. Yeah. And we're not talking, mm-hmm. this wasn't new games purchased, by the way. I think I'm pretty sure it was like. Just like how, how many just different how many games different did you games play in the year? Yeah. The average person played four games. Yeah. Uh, I figured it would That's be like 1.5. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was four. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you've got like, like it's the point being, it's a small number though. Yeah. yeah. So, so what you're dealing with again is like it, 
it's it can feel like one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm going to like give away a, like a large chunk of my game or like, oh, my God, what if someone who's like super interested in it plays it and then like, I don't know, has a bad time because yeah. the show stops, you know, at some point. Where yeah. Or they get um, their fill and they're like, oh, well, I've played enough. Well, yeah, and it's like, what should happen, right? It will happen sometimes, but again, it's one of those things where like, well, so, so to me, though, there's like the one place where the demo matters, so. which unfortunately is also the one that I, I think where, the, where there's the most potential for downside is also where there's the most potential for upside, right? So, because we're talking about like the reason that we would do it at all is for Steam Next Fests, basically, right? <laughs> to be able to participate in that kind of a thing. But that also means that we haven't launched the game yet, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yep. that is the one scenario where I think that on the whole, my suspicion is that demos are more harmful than helpful because the people who already know they want a game, but that game isn't out yet, and then a demo comes out, right, are that's the subset of people who both would have bought the game and now because they can't yet will actually go get the demo, right? Mm-hmm. And then depending on a whole bunch of stuff about the design of the demo, when you they get it compared to when the launch happens, mm-hmm. how much stuff is in the demo, et cetera, et cetera, like that's the place where you can convert what would have been just a purchase, right? Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have started with a demo download, even if one was available at the same time, mm-hmm. into a demo download that now may cause somebody to not purchase it when the game actually yeah, comes yeah. out. So, so one interesting kind of uh, experience that we had with our, our – uh, closed alpha that we did with our 40-ish mm-hmm. t- uh, playtesters was we we ran into this issue where the where for whatever reason game makers engine defaults to not using the person's video card if they're on a laptop instead it uses their onboard chip mm-hmm. and so uh about half of the people who booted up the the playtest were getting like 15 fps yeah, just horrible and, performance and also because of some other game maker issues which are being resolved, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, that also broke a bunch of animations and a bunch of other stuff. And we had seen this a, a, a little bit earlier with like one person who had mm-hmm. tried the game, but we, you know, that's not like we didn't like couldn't triangulate what that means, right? And then suddenly we saw this with all these people, and now we have those issues fixed, right? But we didn't have it fixed at first. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, well, what if, you know, what if your demo goes out and there's there's something that you will have fixed by the time the game comes out, but you didn't realize that it was there because you didn't have a big enough sample size or something. And the demo just turns out to be kind of not that great of an experience, yeah. but it's actually not really reflective of what the game will be when it launches. But also in many and ways, you know, there's, there's you know, a lot of things that you'll discover during these, right? It's, 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 it's a brief early access is also how I like to think about it, right? Where it, yeah. So our, our overall plan, and just to be clear, is like our plan is to participate in one of the one of these things and to have a demo, but not to yep. just leave the demo available just for all yeah. time. It will be available for around the, event. the events. Yeah. Cause I think that also that's where, that's where you can take that, again, that one like risky subset of the people mm-hmm. who then are like, Oh, well, I want Crashlands 2. It's not out yet, but Hey, there's a demo and they go play it. And even the, even the demo version of Crashlands 2 is going to have a lot of content because there's no way for us to it's, it's a big like, game. Yeah. And, and if you roll thing, it's hard to unsplice. Yeah, it, it has to have a lot of content in it. So you'll be able to play the game for quite a while, you know. Um, uh, but we also need the data to be separate from the launched game's data, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is like your save files and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because right? we don't yeah. want to try to figure out how to make sure we can like do backwards compatibility with a, you know, six-month-old demo build or whatever, right? So, <laughs> so it has to be separate data, which means also that a person could sink five hours into the demo and then go get the just- actual game and then now they've like – quote unquote lost those five hours, right? If that happened like right before launch, that's a terrible that's experience. That's a horrible yeah. user experience, right? In that case, we would ha- we would not worry yeah, about trying that. to separate it because yeah. how, you know. Yeah, it wouldn't be the right move, right? Yeah. Um, because now we're trying to convert people to, and give them an incentive to do it, right? But if it's happening like really early, then it makes sense. Then, then it's okay to do that because now the idea is like you're getting, you're getting a particular demo-ified version of the game. Yeah. Right. You can play a lot of it. But by the time the game actually releases, you know, months later, it's not fresh. You don't have like the fresh experience of being like, oh, I just played this for five hours and now I have to start over mm-hmm. on hour six. You know, it's instead. Yeah. Oh, now I'm replaying this game that I vaguely remember. Right. Which is a very different kind of a thing. Yeah. So the whole and that, I think that's the trick of it is like it's presented when people talk about demos. It's often presented as just like, oh, yeah, you just like take a little slice of your game and just put it up. Right. Uh, just like every other fucking problem. thing you do, it's an enormous design challenge where you have to think through like all of the things involved, the and psychology the of it, 
Because again, and, how do you yeah, slice and it? More, yeah, exactly. More than anything, it's a technical challenge that's huge um, because a lot of games, you just can't be like, oh, here's the stopping point for the demo, right? That's not really, that's not really yes. how a lot of, of games work. It's, it's like the feeling of uh, you're like really get into a show and then you find out that uh, they've like split the season in half and they're not releasing the last half of the season for like six more months or mm-hmm. some shit. Mm-hmm. I've had that happen and it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because like you get invested in a thing and then something like, oh crap, I gotta, I gotta wait, you know? So there's also like a big framing thing where like if I had known that at the start, I would have just waited in, until the whole thing was out and then, mm-hmm. then just watched it, right? So you got to be clear about what is in the demo experience so that people don't suddenly and get how it differs. Yeah. off guard. Yeah, because you're, you're basically trying to create like a cliffhanger kind of experience, right? So that they want to come back and keep playing so that they have a high incentive to do so, right? But cliffhangers are dangerous because they also piss people off, right? Like, oh. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is, so, 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 so part of it, like we do have a demo build we've already drafted, right? Um, mm-hmm. That kind of, we think solves all of this, right? But one of the things we had to make sure we did is like the moment we start playing the game, we have to do something to tell you like, hey, this is a demo build. Hey, your data will not carry over. Hey, it's going to stop at some point. Like we got to make sure that that is front and center, right? As it comes up. And I think back to the earlier part of the discussion, that there's also the reason why I don't play demos because- Because you want to keep playing. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's also because I know it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to have to be shaped differently from the actual it, initial it gameplay experience. It will be a different design. It's going to be, it's, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll have and to replay something similar, but not the same as that once I get the actual game yeah. for, for most cases. And that's like, an interesting, like, really good point with that. When we originally were talking about how to do the demo, I was like, oh, maybe we'll just put like a, like a two-hour cap on time played, you know? So you just, like, you get two hours to go play around, whatever, uh, you know, per save, I guess, or however you would do that. And then Seth pointed out the reality that, like, in an open-world game that's actually very chill and about, like, building up your stuff and these character moments and stuff, putting a fucking timer on it. Yeah. Shifts the whole vibe, the feel where again, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not super worried about like people playing the demo kind of, you know, cause again, strategically it's kind of just doing a different thing. It's almost like more a higher level important thing just to be able to have. But at the same time, that would be a big enough fuck up in terms of experientially what the game is trying to do versus what you accidentally do during a demo that, yeah, it's like, you don't, probably don't want to fucking do that. You know what I mean? Like there's I mean, two hours is, is quite a while, but at the same time, like if there's any kind of a time limit, it, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. It changes you, yeah. you know, yeah, it changes it's like, you and it's play. the wrong metric in any of it. Right. Cause like, cause what are you trying to do when you're limiting content for a demo? Right. And it's, it's, you're trying to make it so that a person doesn't have the full game so that they're strongly incentivized to go buy the full game and that they have, but that, they have a really good experience that leads them to a point where once their experience is over, whatever that means, right? They they want more. It made sense to them that it's over. <laughs> and then they want what to go buy it, you know? The thread. That's it's really hard insane. to and, and yeah, and same as you said, like depending on the game, the difficulty of pulling that off varies enormously, right? And for a multiplayer game, which requires people to actually be around, for an open world game which doesn't have any th- place you can just take one block and be done you know like it could get really fucking hard and this is also why you see like historically there was a time in my life when i did play a lot of demos and that was when i couldn't afford to buy games you know mm-hmm. um because you had to be very selective because like, you had to be more selective which, and it was which also, one you're gonna buy you know? yeah and yeah. uh and it was before like steam's refund policies were what they are today yeah. and all this kind of stuff right so there was a time when i did that and, and at the time there was also, I think, like culturally for game development, there was just a lot more of that. I think probably for the same reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing I remember the book so strongly about doing this, about playing those demos, is that none of them really were the actual game. No, know? they were it can't be. Yeah, it's they the, often were like the exact same, like a a, new, a different level that was like the demo level for the game, or like I put uh, it this way: it's it's mechanically going to be the game, right? Yeah, it's trying to but show ex- you the experience of playing it. Without actually playing. It's like a trailer. You know, we talked about like the the challenge of somehow converting an experienced good into a different format, like a movie instead of a game, right? Or in this case, a demo instead of the core game where you're trying to block stuff. And it's like, it's all lossy. So none of it's fully representative. So yeah, I think it's, it's all really tricky. And I think while the, while the fests are very cool, they are, I think you could, as a dev, you could get a little confused about the purpose where I think it's, it's, I don't know that it's like super possible, frankly, to like sell your game with a demo. That's like, that's what all the stats from before were, you know, um, as in making those individual sales. not really. I think it's kind of just like a wash. But again, 
Well, any of those stats are also super context dependent. Because I also remember so there was hard. a big, uh, re- a big analysis that some group did about uh, demos on Xbox back in like 2012, probably mm-hmm. something like that. Because mm-hmm. there were quite a few, quite a few oh, games Xbox that had, Live, that had right? like yeah, demos on Xbox Live. Yeah, and what they found was that, and again, like this is a correlation, not a causation, right? Was just that games with demos on statistically did worse than games that had demos in terms of revenue. Right. Games, right. games with demos? You said, you said this game, twice. Sorry, games with demos yeah. did, did worse than games without demos okay. Okay. Um, in terms of revenue, right? But then it's like, well, you, you could think about that in a bunch, a bunch of like cause, causation yeah, directions, yeah. right? Which did is triple like, A it, games have demos? Because probably no, not. Probably not. Right. Because they're just like, people will buy whatever we put out for some reason. Right. Yeah, marketing <laughs> and so, It's like a different, you know, like you're doing, yeah, you're yeah. showcasing the game in different ways. Well, yeah. In and my opinion, now the matter is that if someone has bought the idea of the marketing materials, the ones that aren't a demo, right? Mm-hmm. Enough that they are willing to go through the effort of downloading and trying your demo, not knowing what they're getting into and how that's going to differ from the actual game. That person would have just bought the game instead if that was an option, right? Probably. Like, well, maybe. like the hard part was already accomplished, which was getting right. something. You're saying getting a demo like, download is is that's the same as getting a sale in a basically. way. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah I mean, and, and there's a and there's a there's a subset of people who will like get the demo instead, right? Or just uh, like download a shit of demos, which I know is definitely. Oh yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by instead, right? It's like they'll yeah. they'll get that like the marketing materials worked, but they were they weren't actually going to buy the game, right? Mm-hmm. Just wasn't, even though the market. They're just they're just looking for something. To yeah, they're still going to play, and, and like for, and for them, that was like, again that was something that I did too in my younger days, right? Where I would like I would play demos because I wanted to see what the game was about, and even if I liked it, I would just be like, well, I got more games to try, and I got my got just enough with the demo because I was like going for a diversity of play experience, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get that, um, but yeah. But my bet is though that that if a person. Well, get your demo. They'll you're saying you've peaked interest, which is hard you've, enough. You've already, yeah, you've already solved the hard part. <laughs> well, here's the, even the the fun problem, though, which is that because these happen regularly now, then there's little bots people run to just like download all of the demos, yep. which means that actually the statistics now that the devs are getting on the back end are not super not useful because it'll be like, you yeah. got a million downloads of your demo, but actually it was like, you know, maybe 10,000 people. Robots. Well, so like, if you're looking at like web stats, like one for web traffic, 40% of all web traffic is is robots crawling the web. Yeah. Right? When did that statistic come out? Because it's, it's probably higher now. <laughs> oh, sure, <laughs> well, especially with the AI stuff, it's probably a lot higher now. Yeah. yeah we were actually just musing earlier this week. Right? I opened up my, my email and I was like, have you guys noticed a dramatic uptick in oh. solicitation emails? Just, yeah, I don't know. doesn't what matter happened. what it is. Whether so it's like people same. emailing my personal account about just whatever, just stuff, just spam, right? But it's like it's it's directly to me with my name in there, and it's posed like a like a letter. You know, it's not like a newsletter. It's like somebody wrote me this email, but of course they didn't. It's mm-hmm. it's AI somehow. Be like, there's something. There's people are figuring out how to use AI to to blast more solicitation emails at, and it's not the one I'm not and, and ones that it. are that aren't being caught by spam filters is the yeah. The problem. Yeah. We're just going to do two things. One is we're all going to get way more spam than we used to. But also, as the spam filters do become more aggressive to try to handle it, it means it's going to become even harder to send legitimate fucking emails that it. Which is a problem that I'm really noted with all the time trying to send the Ballyhoo newsletter out because mm-hmm. every time we do, it's just a fucking dice roll as to whether or not Spam I said I had the wrong <laughs> magic word in there in the middle of five paragraphs, right? That causes it to go into spam. Uh, yeah. But so. it reminds me of uh, there was like a, I think it was maybe a comic or something where it was, you know, somebody who's like, oh, I want, I need to send this, uh, this email out to my, you know, my, my boss about this thing. And they write out and they're like, mm, this doesn't seem professional enough. And they're like, no, oh, chat GPT, can you like make this more professional? Right. So the email gets real big. It has like a lot of stuff in it. They send it to the boss and the boss is like, this is way too much. Hey, chat GPT, can you, <laughs> can you summarize this for me? Right. Which and is it's also just funny like, cause like every professional uh, person that we've interacted with, um, has only replied with like one sentence emails. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the reality is like, that's not for now. Nobody, want, nobody, nobody wants, nobody wants long emails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody wants. Yeah. That. But, but with the spam, it's going to be like, people are going to be using AI to send spam. And then we're using AI to yeah, filter, filter spam right, out, yeah. you know? And then it's like, it's just, uh, it's I mean, it's, I've been entertained because been, it's been becoming so annoying now. Every day I open my inbox and there's like three to six, you know, like quick yeah, questions. It just happened last like week or two. I don't know what the fuck happened. 
So it's been happening to me like with increasing frequency for a a while, like four to six months probably, but it's gotten particularly dramatic just the Mm -hmm. start of this year. Um, Something's happening. Yeah, but I was entertaining the idea of like trying to hook something in between like basically – and this is a a great deal if you're open AI. You know what I mean? Because on the spammer side, they're paying for open AI. You make it by both sides, baby. And (laughs) – It's this is it's it's really it's arms dealership. It is arms dealership. Yeah. That's what that is. Yeah. Well, I just I mean I like I saw somebody commenting about how like there's so many there's so many societal problems that get created and they don't really have a, a solution like fossil fuels, right? Yeah. But then like uh like AI is a is is a thing that solves the problems that it creates, right? <laughs> so, yeah. It's like so a fire with fire sort of thing, right? You can use it to fight itself in various ways, which is kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, like the problem like, is that like we all have to like look saying, at it fighting itself, you know, and it's just yeah. wasting our fucking time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like there's been so many times now where I've seen I've seen whole comment threads where where the the first comment is clearly written by an AI, you know, and then people start responding, and some of them are people who are like, "Was this written by an AI?" But then other responses are, I'm pretty also sure, AI also AI. Yeah. <laughs> just like what the fuck? It's weird if you ask oh. me to describe how. How you can tell, I cannot quite, I cannot in words describe it, but I feel like I've, I feel like I've gotten very good at being able to tell now. It's because ChatGPT likes to use dependent clauses followed by independent clauses or prefix its sentences with things like, it's important to remember. Yeah. Stuff like that. It like, it, it hedges things a lot or it kind of. It has a certain kind of. Yeah, there's it's a, a way of emphasizing, but right. you can depending on because you can like kind of oh yeah, you can make your prompt and change, make it be yeah. different. Actually, it's one of the interesting consequences of all of this is that also because now the world is going to be all AI spam, right? But AI spam looks just really a lot like human stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then this new problem of people thinking that people are AIs when they're not, yes. right? <laughs> oh, yes. Because most of the time, when you think something is an AI, you're going to be right, even if you have yeah. no basis for, for that at all. Well, it's going to become increasingly true because most stuff will become AI stuff. Most right? is true. So, like, so statistically speaking, if you just assume that something is AI, you're going to be mm-hmm. right. Uh, but for for people who who like write, who just happen to write in a similar way to AIs do, right? Or well, actually, because yeah, I, like, yeah, I heard this happening to some like autistic people in particular because like they're writing like the autistic writing style. They, there's not one autistic writing style, right? But the thing about autistic people is that their brains work a bit differently on average from non-autistic mm-hmm. people. That's the whole fucking reason we call it autism right so that means when they're writing stuff it's gonna look different than if a non-autism it's have a slightly right? different vibe yeah it's gonna have a slightly different vibe and there's gonna be some consistencies you know between different autistic people writing stuff so now if that looks a little bit more like what an ai would generate right mm-hmm. then now all of a sudden like autistic people stuff is gonna be starting to get flagged like, <laughs> and i actually saw a thing about somebody dealing with this where they they were really upset because they had sent a thing to somebody and the person got mad that they sent them this AI garbage, you know, and they were like, I, I literally, I wrote, like, I wrote that, you know, that was, <laughs> it was AI didn't come near it, you know. Well, I think uh, there's the other problem though, which is that everybody talks about like the, the generative learning or like the learning problem with the AIs where, you, you know, you're going to feed them their own stuff back into them. Right. Eventually. Yep. Yeah. It's the, um, the, the, what's, it's like it degenerates cause it's like yeah. learning off of its own. Well, I think it's text. funny about this too, is that, you know, I don't know if you've done this before, but there's books that I've read where I really like the writing. And then if I'm writing something and I need that feel, I'll go read it for a little bit because yeah, it gets you get in back your bones. In the, yeah. So here's the other thing. If a lot of the, if a lot of the written word that people are consuming over the next five years or so. Yeah. Is AI generated? People will start writing. It's just guaranteed. You're gonna start writing more like that. It's the same way like language catches on and everything else. It'll look it's a thing that you're just more fluent in that seems like it's how you deliver it, right? It's like it feels like it's it's actually gonna create a new pressure for people to change how they write, right? Yeah. Because if you think about this as like the whole generational thing too, where it's like kids are changing the words they use and the way they spell things Mm -hmm. and the way the way they communicate. Um not just differentiate themselves. Well, and it's not just to differentiate themselves, it's because People are creative, right? And you're at your most creative when you're when you when nobody's tried to break your spirit yet, you know. So like, so as <laughs> as your kids going about the world, like, and you like you'll like you'll it'll be funny because like we do this all the time just within Beast Control, we'll just make up a yeah. word and then now we start using it, you know. Um, but the rate at which you do that is, a, and you know, as kids is is just a lot more. But part of the the sort of side effect of that is that you can then tell like, oh, this was written by a young person. Yes, right. right. And, and it has the effect of differentiating and sometimes I think to an extent a purpose of differentiating. But I think what we're going to end up seeing as AI kind of you know, takes over 
is that people need to find more ways to indicate in their writing and the stuff that they that make that, that this is a person <laughs> did this, right? And so they're going to have all this like weird new things that happened that, that people are trying to figure out like, what could I do that You're thinking there's something be like a, AI would do? Like what's right, the like linguistic weirdness is going to start just... It's going to explode, yeah. But this is going to be a problem because of course like the AI will get faster and faster at learning uh, of like how to adapt language and how to, you know... Yeah. The but it's always going to lag. It's always going to lag behind, and the bulk of its data will always be the historical stuff, right? Not That's not true. the most recent stuff. So it's going to have this like kind of lag on it. But it's good. But you're, to your point, though, it's not going to be a long lag, right? And it's already the case that like new language and ways of doing things like happens really fast and goes away really fast. Um, but I think it's going to go from right now where it's being kind of like kept. That kind of happens mostly in like the young person segment. I think right now it's happening mm. for fun. And it's it's happening it's for gonna fun. Happen yeah. I think it's, it's, really like, it's going to start happening yeah, out of necessity. And we're going to end up seeing these like weird new things that people start doing that are constantly in this arms race against AI to like make it so that you can tell. Like when you read it, you're like, this feels like a person wrote it. Like, I don't know what this is going to look like. I don't know what that's going to mean. Like, is it going to be just a lot of generation of new words? Is it going to be like intentional grammatical errors like what is it going to mm. look like you know i don't know but it's going to be really interesting well it's also going to gonna mean that like it, it's been interesting because you know I'm, I'm 36 about to be 37 so uh being a teenager was half a lifetime ago you know, yeah for yeah. Me. weird um well. and you know i remember being a teenager and being kind of bemused about some of the the older folks around me like just not really not getting it. keeping up like not really keeping up with like the slang or like musicians or whatever, because like I didn't understand that they just didn't have the time <laughs> to, to stay on they're top not, of all that shit. In, in the same way that you are, they're not. You're surrounded yeah. by the culture versus yeah. viewing it, right? Yeah, and so but nowadays I think it's more about like people who are terminally online versus people who aren't. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the, yeah. the dividing yeah, line. If you're terminally online, you're just aware of all of it, you know. But yeah, I, you're picking it to up. To be fair, I'm one of the terminally online people. I watch TikTok. I scroll through Blue Sky. You know, like you know what Riz means. I know what Riz you know? means. <laughs> I know. I know what the kids are doing. I know that they're. I know what the chair fucking emoji means. What the fuck is a chair? Actually, wait. No, I, actually, now, now that I say that, I think I don't remember what it means because it was nonsense. It was one of those like they wanted. Oh, what was it? Oh God, I can't remember. Is now. it like Fetch? There was a brief Someone one because it, it was like it was literally like two weeks, a two week period on TikTok where the chair emoji became like a thing that the kids were doing, right? And it meant something specific, and I I learned it, but then haven't seen it again, and now I can't remember what it is. Yeah, so it's <laughs> fine, but but that 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 like rapid vocabulary innovation. Yeah, the point is it's changing constantly. Yeah, 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 and the people who are just going about their day-to-day -day lives and not really like checking in with this shit all the time, they're yeah. going to be increasingly disoriented. <laughs> so, Wait, well, it's also because if, if you if you have your like finger on the pulse of it, that you're kind of, you're watching it change, you're watching things come and go, right? Mm. But if you only check in every year or whatever, when it's for some reason becomes relevant to you, then you didn't watch it change, which means you're just seeing the end point of like fuckloads of weird stuff. It's even that more happened, confusing right? at that It's point. way more confusing if you don't yeah. have just a general kind of pulse on it, which is really expensive to maintain. Yeah, you'll just be like that uh, scene in Community where the guy comes into the room and with pizza and just everything is on fire, right? Which is like, <laughs> what the fuck happened here, right? <laughs> Uh, looking, just glancing at the internet once a week will be like that. Wait, was, that <laughs> was that the scene where they do like the alternate realities thing with the? Yeah, that was one of dice. my favorite fucking episodes. It was wild. Of it was all wild. time, so good. Uh, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this week. I got on kind of an AI tangent, but you know that that's going to happen. Happens. So. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the community Discord, a way for you to donate to support the podcast, and links to the archives. We also would like to remind you to uh, head on over to Steam and give Crashlands 2 a wish list if you haven't already. And I don't know this, but it, it might alert you when the demo becomes available. It might. It might. I don't, it might. Might as well wishlist just to be I mean, safe. Just yeah. oh, and, yeah. and, and, and to round out that thought, it's because we're only going to put the demo up during for a short protest. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you aren't on your fucking game, you're going to miss it. Yeah. yeah. So go wishlist it. Exactly. Uh, so do that. We'd appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.